Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. who are worried about not only their, their safety at the Capitol, but when they go back to their home district. Yeah. Uh, you have a member uh, who, has, who has talked about executing you. Uh, there's, and you've had a security bulletin yesterday from DHS about ongoing domestic violence threats. What are you saying to your members about protecting themselves and, and what can be done to, to, for them to feel safe? Well, first of all, uh, I appreciate the letter from the members, but most of the questions, the uh, items on their list have already been done. Perhaps they were not aware, and I take responsibility for them not being aware in terms of use of their MRA funds and some of the other issues that are in there. Today, when I meet with General Honoré, uh, he is looking at members here, members at home, and in between. So we want to have a scientific uh, approach to how uh, we protect members. I do believe, and I have said this all along, that we will probably need a supplemental uh, for uh, more security for members when the enemy is within the House of Representatives, uh, a, a threat that members are concerned about in addition to what is happening outside. But I think that, again, what's in that letter, we've all... But it's just a matter of communicating to them that has been done, the MRA, the rest of that. I do think, though, that uh, while they, it's appropriate that they use their MRA for their security, they shouldn't have to because that money is there for them to meet the needs of their constituents. In the meantime, uh, to protect themselves and their constituents when they communicate with them, that that is confidential, private, and not uh, provocative, but then also for us to have, and that's what we'll be looking at recommendations from General Honoré. We'll have some interim report today, and then he'll continue his work as we go forward. But it's very important. Uh, you've been the subject of threats that comes with the job of being speaker. Many of your members, not necessarily, some of them feel like they're targets now. What, what do you say to your, your, your caucus, to, to your fellow House members? Well, what we're saying is that we're going to approach it in a way that will truly protect them, that the issues they raised in their letter have by and large been in effect. So they may be uh, relieved to hear that. They'll be hearing also from the Sergeant Arms today, who will, and you'll see his letter talking about how their further, uh, their protection is uh, further enhanced by certain initiatives that were taken. 
And as I said, General Honoré is looking to see what really will work in terms of their service here, their service home, their transportation in between. But I call to your attention the Sergeant in Arms letter because it will be more specific about air marshals, etc. But this is very, very important. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that not only is the President of the United States inciting an insurrection, but keeps fanning the flame, endangering uh, the, uh, the security of members of Congress to the point that they're even concerned about members in the House of Representatives being a danger to them. I was in New York City on 14th Street, and there were a group of youngsters who were lined up with zip ties uh, waiting for transportation. The police actually pushed me back and told me if I tried to get any closer, they would arrest me. And I was asking, what are they under arrest for? And they said, breaking curfew. Six kids under arrest uh, for breaking curfew in New York. During the summer riots, uh, the summer demonstrations, they were arresting people for everything. Thousands of people walked out of this Capitol without being arrested after storming the place. Tell me about this. I mean, this is a hypocrisy that has been on display for decades, generations. We always know that when people with black skin show up, the police operate one way. Um, and when people with white skin show up, they operate a different way. But this is also uh, deeper in some certain ways. We certainly see the hypocrisy of police. We certainly see the participation of some police. The more and more we know, the more we're finding out that there were members of Capitol Police that engaged with this activity, that there were members of police departments all across this country, along with Olympians and school counselors and even more folks who participated in this insurrection. Um, so we're seeing the hypocrisy on full display in full technicolor, as you see on your screen right now. Um, but we also see the hypocrisy of Republicans, because blue lives only seem to matter when they are carrying out state actions that enact violence against black, brown, and indigenous people. When the police are, in fact, getting in the way, even just a little bit, of insurrectionists, of white supremacists, of people who are there simply because they didn't get their way, um, the Republicans have nothing to say about those blue lives mattering. So if we are going to continue to endure this level of hypocrisy from Republicans who still maintain their, seat in their seats in Congress and from police who continue to take up massive amounts of municipal budgets, the question is, what are we going to do differently? It is painfully obvious, but our choices still seem to be the same. Well, one of the things we have to think about is, uh, Mehdi, what you talked about with me earlier, the existential nature of this. During the summer, those protests were about saying, hey, you apparently have these laws that are supposed to be uh, applied to us equally, but you're not doing that. We would like you to do that. We would like the more fair application of laws uh, to, to, to black and brown people. This thing was weird because this, this move on Congress was uh, the idea that uh, we think the election was stolen, the idea that white supremacists uh, and, and, and extremists were here as the aggrieved party is it's kind of fascinating because the stuff uh, that they're talking about isn't really true. No, and uh, it's, a, it's a good point you make about the threat. I mean, they were trying. The aim of, the, the aim of those people was to overrun the Capitol, maybe to execute legislators, take them hostage, definitely to stop a constitutional process. No one can accuse any Black Lives Matter or even Antifa protests of trying to do that last year. You remember the scenes in Portland, Oregon, where they were tear-gassing people just for standing outside federal buildings or state buildings. So this is absurd, the double standard. I'm glad you raised the issue of the arrests. Uh, you know, 14,000 in two weeks versus uh, less than a 
100 uh, in 10 days. It's, it's the undercharging that's going on right now. Let's see what other charges come out. But there seems to be a lot of undercharging right now. A lot of those people are being charged just for like being on federal property or you know trespassing, which is kind of ridiculous given what we know went down on the day as every day comes out. We are back with a Fox News alert. Federal law enforcement declaring an unlawful assembly in Portland after demonstrators stormed the local ICE facility. Townhall.com senior writer Julio Rosas was just on the ground there on Inauguration Day covering the unrest, and he joins us now. Julio, thanks for being with us this morning. We know you've done extensive coverage of the violence that's happening in Portland right now. First and foremost, why are they rioting? Uh, well, they they just hate the United States, and so therefore it doesn't matter if a Democrat's in office. They they hate Joe Biden. They made that abundantly clear on inauguration day after they attacked the Democratic headquarters. Uh, but th this really shows that that critics last summer. Uh, w blamed federal law enforcement on the riots at the federal courthouse, uh, saying that it was their fault for that. That's why the unrest is happening. But but this shows that uh, Portland just likes to riot against the government, and it's gonna and it happened before the federal courthouse, and obviously now it's happening afterwards. And so we're gonna see this continue as long as there's a federal uh, government presence. And even if that were to go away, they would just go after the local law. CNN's Frederick Plaikin is live for us in Moscow. So what do they say happened on this call? <laughs> Hi there, Allison. Well, certainly neither of them said, neither the White House nor the Kremlin said that this was a particularly friendly conversation, but they certainly did say that it was very matter of fact, and it certainly does seem to have been very uh, productive, in fact, impressively productive. Both men agreed to extend the New START nuclear treaty and Vladimir Putin really followed through on that very quickly, just moments after the readout came out. He sent that to Russian parliament. And just a couple of minutes before we went on the air right now, we just got confirmation that both houses of Russian parliament have actually ratified that extension. So certainly President Biden uh, managed to do something that uh, the Trump administration did not manage to do uh, in the last days that it was in office. Nevertheless, the White House saying that while there were areas where there could be cooperation, that the White House would also take a very firm stance on other areas of concern. I want to listen in to what the White House press secretary had to say. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 30th of January, year of our Lord, 2021. I have to go a day early. I have my son coming over tomorrow. We're going to have bison stew and have a family meal. So we're moving it to the Saturday, and it's going to be a long show. Sorry, got a lot of sound bites today, a lot of subjects to cover. That intro is a good primer to exactly what we've been saying on this show. And surprisingly, I'm trying to stay away from Tucker, um, but his show last night is straight fire. It's what I've been saying on this podcast for a year. This shit's going to get out of control. And it already is. It's already out of control. Because when the Speaker of the House for the Democrats, who was impeaching a president over words that didn't incite a violent act that was insurrecting while he was speaking before he said anything that was remotely go burn down the Capitol says that then you have MSNBC once again defending Antifa and a short clip showing Antifa still fucking shit up a Putin phone call are you are you, 
Really? Four years ago, did we not have a Putin and Flynn called Russia and they're gleefully going, he's sticking it to Putin. Well, the reality is, for those that don't understand, Trump was hard on Russia. And it was all a lie. And I know it's hard when the New York Times and WAPO and MSNBC and CNN never drop it, but we did a whole investigation. There was nothing there. So what the fuck, Chuck? Isn't Russia our biggest enemy? Should we be even talking to them? I don't know. I mean, is this okay rhetoric for a news channel? Because they want Fox to go away. And I got this late last night, so it wasn't in the script, but tell me if this is proper. There's a bulletin released to all law enforcement earlier this week that there is, until the end of April, a persistent threat of domestic extremism, domestic uh, terrorism carried out in the ideology and around this belief that the election um, was fraudulent, that the COVID restrictions are unnecessary. All of those ideologies pushed by Donald Trump. But, but my question for you is around incitement. Um, we had a policy, and it was very controversial. It was carried out under the Bush years and under the Obama years of attacking terrorism at its root, of going after and killing, um, and in the case of Amr al-Awlaki, an American, a Yemeni American, with a drone strike for the crime of inciting violence, inciting terrorism. Mitch McConnell was in the Senate then. He was in the Senate after 9-11, too. How does Mitch McConnell, who understands that the way you root out terrorism is to take on, in the case of Islamic terrorism, kill those who incite it, how does he not vote to convict someone that he said on the floor of the Senate incited an insurrection? Drones? I mean, if you can't see what they're doing, it's because you just are putting your head in the sand. And because I scream and yell and jump up and down, I'm going to do a very rare thing. I'm going to give up my show for a very long time. And I'm going to play two sound bites right now. Oh, wait, but first, but first, um, I, I, I got a sponsor. It's our first sponsor. And there's a lot of drugs that are coming out during this time. You know, there was one that was made that was called Trump Fire. And it was for conservatives to learn how to be conservatives again. You know, they've been watching Morning Joe, CNN, and they're still into this insurrectionist, they're all seditionist, not realizing what was BLM, what was Antifa, what was the Democratic Party for four years? Was that proper decorum? Well, it was because you hated Trump, so I got it. And this drug was going to bring you back. Well, you know, with everything else, an executive order came down. They have banned that. And now it's mandatory pretty much for all the never-Trumpers, and this is the last time I'll ding never-Trumpers because I've been on a tangent for three podcasts, which I'll explain after our ad. And this this drug's for them. It's going to help them convert to what they've been for four years. It's morning in America again. You did it. You got rid of Trump. You voted in the oldest president ever who may be senile, but he's not Trump. Four years ago, you were crushed. A game show host took over your party. 
And with them came those uneducated Walmart slobs. Smelly folks wearing mega. But in your depression, you found Morning Joe in the morning. New day. CNN was facts first for you. And night you ended with Cuomo and Lemon. And you binged on the New York Times and WAPO opinion pages. Democracy does die in the dark. Sure, the riots of the summer, with Antifa being mainlined, your new friends at the cool table financing it all, it was hard to take at first. But you knew violence is a language. Of the oppressed. America's racist. Those three percenters were your enemy. Proud boy. Obscure groups nobody heard of. Q. They need to be gone. Well now we have Prague via. Our previous version's been banned by the government. Was Trump via. It allowed you to go back to being a conservative. And letting the liberal shit go in and out. With Prague via, you now deflect off any intellectual honesty or principles you had before. You become the liberal you wanted to be. Soon, intersectionality that looks like this slowly morphs into what it's all about. It's you. You'll even see Biden as the saint he is, not as a senile old man. Yes, it's morning in America, and it'll always be morning in America when you become the Democrat you always were. See what we did there? Okay, I think that shit's funny. Now, there's another skit in the works. I actually got it worked out that I'm going to be able to do this really disgusting skit that I'll probably regret for the rest of my life. But I'm doing it, and the props have been ordered, and it will happen next week. So it'll be on probably next Sunday's show. But <clears throat> it may say mean, but I, I follow so many never-Trumpers. And as stated in a previous podcast, I talk to never-Trumpers who don't really talk to me anymore because we've argued so much. You've batted so far for the left, you no longer are recognizing what they're doing. They're trying to associate 75 million voters who you disagree with, and in some cases you dislike because you believe all this QAnon conspiracy, they're going to take over Trump private war shit, you know, the army of the Trump and all that crazy shit we've been playing. You believe it and you think they're a threat to democracy when it was a bunch of bozos who did one hit. I mean, we are building fences around the Capitol. We will prove in this next soundbite, they're so scared of the people they're leading. And the reason why they're scared is they have facilitated, sponsored, financed violence for a year to get what they needed, which was the presidency, okay? And now, they know almost everything they're doing is bullshit. 
It's not supported by the American people. It is not what anybody wants. We will just lightning round after this, all the crazy shit, and then go into the evil that people like AOC and Cori Bush and all of them are trying to perpetrate to justify destroying the filibuster, doing reconciliation, and pushing through far, far left things. Remember, Joe Biden, the person that a lot of conservatives voted for because they hated Trump, was supposed to be the safe normal. He has now done 40 executive actions. None of them are things the American people want. They're extreme. So far that his immigration shit, he backed off. But from abortion to guns, he is down with the far left. So the theory that we can just play nice for two years and hope to win back the Republican-led Congress is a fool's errand. From voting, states, filibusters, they're going to do what they said they were going to do. And people like me on a podcast that were saying that we're just a nut job, probably QAnon, No, I listened to their goddamn convention. Nothing in their convention was moderate. Nothing in their convention did not say, we're going to grab power and we're never letting it go. And we'll ensure it by policies that ensure there's a never, ever a Republican president again. And the Republicans never hold the Senate or the House. And they're doing it. So we're going to listen to a Tucker soundbite. It's rather long. And then for the first time on the show, I'm going to play Ben Shapiro. Tucker's going to talk about what I've been talking about. They're doing this on purpose, and it's going to get dangerous because they're creating extremists, my fear, on the left. Because remember, we went down this road with Trump, and we had a guy shoot up a baseball field, and unbeknownst to never-Trumpers and principal conservatives in the media, people were getting beaten in the street for wearing a fucking red hat. May not be your speed. Surely isn't mine. I wouldn't wear anybody's fucking hat. Well, maybe boss in New York. If he ever ran, I'd wear it. Or I told Jerry Dempsey I'd wear one. I shouldn't have said his last name. But I did. He's a friend. And he lives someplace. So I won't say where he lives. And he was talking about running. I said, wear your shit. But other than that, I'm not wearing a politician's shit. But we're in a country where you have the right to do that. And if we can go through eight years of hope and change, I didn't think Make America Great Again was really going to destroy the fucking republic. Because clearly it didn't. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. Block him from doing anything. That's why I voted for him. But when you unravel it, he wasn't a threat to democracy. These fucking jackholes are. So, Tucker, it's getting dangerous. And Ben Shapiro, they're norm-coring. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Friday. What a week. A lot going on in this country right now. But maybe the single biggest mystery, when you take three steps back, is why Democrats became so vicious after they won. So Joe Biden got the White House. His party took the Congress. You'd think they'd be thrilled. That's what they wanted. You'd think they'd be celebrating. But no. Instead, they started a purge. Within hours, Democrats began crushing even the mildest dissent. They shut down an entire social media company called Parler, 
not because Parler had done anything wrong, but simply because they couldn't control it. They couldn't take the chance that somebody on Parler might criticize them, so they eliminated it. Then two days ago, they arrested a man, threw him in handcuffs, brought him up on federal charges because he made fun of Hillary Clinton on Twitter. That man is now facing 10 years in prison. Democrats then declared war on their rival political party, not, by the way, a metaphorical war, but an actual one with soldiers and paramilitary law enforcement and the world's most powerful intelligence agencies. They denounced Republicans, even fairly moderate establishment figures who pose really no conceivable threat to anyone. They denounced them as dangerous terrorists. They likened them to ISIS and Al Qaeda. And anyone who complained about this or fought back in any way was threatened with expulsion from Congress. In other words, it doesn't matter what voters decided in November. In the name of democracy, you can no longer serve in the Congress. That's what they said. Nor are dissidents permitted in the federal bureaucracy. No one who disagrees with our beliefs, Democrats have announced, can work in the U.S. government. We're not overstating it. That all actually happened. You saw it. Nothing like that has ever taken place in this country before. This is the most sweeping and audacious assault on civil liberties in American history. So the question is, what accounts for this? Why are they doing it? It's worth figuring that out. On the most basic level, of course, it's a power grab. We've said that from the first day, and it remains true. The Democratic Party doesn't exist to serve some abstract principle, liberty or justice or the Bill of Rights, no. Nor is its primary goal improving the lives of its voters. If you've been to Detroit, you know that's true. No, the Democratic Party exists to accumulate power, all of it. Some is never enough. The impulse is to control everything. So that's what they're trying to do now amidst the chaos and tumult. But that's not all that's going on right now. There's more. Look around. Watch as Democrats erect a permanent steel prison fence around the United States Capitol. Why is that fence there? Well, to protect the people inside, to keep the public out of what we used to call the people's house. That's happening tonight as we speak. Then notice the thousands of armed soldiers and law enforcement agents stationed outside that fence. What's their purpose? Again, protecting the people inside. Then ask yourself, why are House Democrats planning to use federal committee funds to pay for more personal security for themselves? Why the renewed push to seize firearms from law-abiding Americans who've committed no crime? Why does Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez seem on the verge of tears as she describes how she was almost murdered on January 6th at the Capitol? She's not entirely putting it on. She seems to mean it. If you're sensing a theme here, there is in fact a theme, and the theme is panic, fear, and it's real. You are looking at leaders who are genuinely afraid of the people they're supposed to be leading. Here's the really interesting thing. They seem much more afraid now that Donald Trump has left office. With Donald Trump gone, they sense that a period of actual populism has begun, real populism, and they may be right. Look at what happened this week on Wall Street. A group of guys on Reddit trading stocks in their boxer shorts exposed the entire American finance establishment as the corrupt and fraudulent scam that it often is. That's a pivotal moment in this country. Once you see something like that, you can't unsee it. Once someone pulls the mask from your face, he still remembers your face. People's attitudes about our economy will change forever because of what happened this week. It's a big deal. The Biden administration's response to what happened this week, their first impulse was to brag about having the first female treasury secretary. That's what they said. That's not an adequate response to what happened. And even the Biden people know that it's not. But that's all they had. The truth is, 
Our leaders don't have answers. They don't even have explanations for what's going on. Worse than that, they themselves are deeply implicated in the systemic problems, in some cases, the crimes that are dragging the country down. They know all this. They know their guilt. Here's the thing. They know that you know it too. And that's why they're afraid. They know why populism is rising, and it is. So this really is the time to make a decision about how to respond to it. What our leaders do next will define what America looks like going forward. It wouldn't even be hard to begin the process of fixing things, of bringing actual unity to a country that badly needs unity. In a democracy, the first step to unifying the country is always the same. Leaders enter into a power-sharing agreement with the people they lead. They do the obvious things. They stop lying to their own citizens. They stop attacking them and they respect their culture. They don't try to control people's beliefs. That's not their role. They treat their own citizens like adults, meaning they treat them fairly. And above all, they cut the public in on some of the fruits of the country's success. If all the benefits of our economy seem to be accruing to a small number of people, that's a problem and they try hard to fix it. Wise leaders know that unequal countries are volatile countries. They know that caste systems are not compatible with democracies. But our leaders don't seem to know any of that. Instead, they tell us that solar cars and mandatory diversity training are the real solutions to our problems. But no one buys that. Those are not real solutions. They're a smokescreen. They're a diversion tactic. Populism starts when people start to figure that out. And they have. And that's why everything suddenly feels so unstable right now, because once again, real populism is brewing. In the face of all of that, the people in charge are doing the single stupidest, most counterproductive thing that any leader could do in the face of a populist movement. They're refusing to admit their role in the decline. They're refusing to admit their failures. And instead, they are blaming the people they have failed. They're literally declaring war on their own population. How's that going to end? And if you think we're overstating it, we're not. Here's the former CIA director describing what the enemy looks like. And this threat from domestic violence extremists is much more challenging, I believe, than it was in terms of going after foreign terrorists. Uh, the domestic violence extremists are much more pervasive. Their numbers are much larger. Uh, when we were going after Al-Qaeda or other types of uh, terrorist groups, uh, cells here in the United States, their numbers were in the single digits of dozens and was finding needles in, haste, in a haystack. Here, there are a lot of haystacks with a lot of needles in them. They have the wherewithal. They already have the weapons that if they so choose to use them, they can, in fact, carry out these deadly attacks. So many problems in this country, evident to anyone who's paying attention. But John Brennan, the former CIA director, has isolated the real problem. The real problem is you. According to Brennan, anyone who disagrees with, say, Susan Rice is worse than Osama bin Laden and more dangerous. These people, meaning you, quote, have the weapons, these terrorists, by terrorists, Brennan means tens of millions of American citizens who might have a firearm at home and didn't vote for Joe Biden. They're the threat, and we need to hunt them as we hunted al-Qaeda. You just saw the clip. That's what he said. It is hard to imagine a leader saying something more destructive and more reckless than that on television in a moment as fraught as the one we're in. It's terrifying in its stupidity and in its certain effect. This isn't crying fire in a crowded theater. This is using a flamethrower in a crowded theater. What are the implications of a former CIA director talking like this? It's not going to make anyone more moderate, that's for certain. 
just the opposite. John Brennan is creating more extremists than a Pakistani madrasa. And it's not just him. All the news channels other than this one right now are repeating this now official line that the American government is now at war with its own population. Here's CNN's version. My colleague Jim uh, Shudo, he's covered international terrorism for 20 years and says that the parallels to the domestic terror threat are frightening. Um, and he points to, and I quote here, radicalization online, demonization of the enemy to justify violence, um, draw to a cause greater than themselves, devotion to a cultish leader. That said, are we doing enough to combat this threat? This is the way law enforcement looks at the domestic terror threat now as equal or greater than international terrorism. If we compared that to a U.S. politician propagating Islamist terrorist thought, materials, lies, etc. Imagine the reaction. And yet, sadly, there's still a partisan reaction to this. Some denying uh, that the threat is real and that the lie behind the threat is dangerous. American citizens are more dangerous than foreign terrorists. You often hear people say, oh, Fox is so extreme. The Fox News Channel is so extreme. No show on this channel would ever put that on the air, ever. And if anyone did, people would resign in protest because that is completely untrue and completely reckless. For once, we're not even going to mock Don Lamont for being a mouth breather, though he demonstrably is. The problem is much bigger than that. And it's not funny. He and that former Obama official you just saw told their viewers that millions of American citizens are terrorists. Now, that's a lie. For one thing, it's just not true. Press a little and you'll find the Department of Homeland Security, which has been amping up the domestic threat for the past week, at great cost to people's sanity. DHS has no actual evidence that Trump voters are planning to hurt anyone. There is no evidence of a plot of any kind. They concede that. Trust us, they would tell you if they found a plot. But the question you have to ask yourself is what kind of effect do lies like that, the ones you just heard calculated to terrify you, what kind of effect do they have on the country? Especially over time. This is not new. When you tell people they're evil because of how they vote or how they look, and our leaders are definitely telling them that every single day, when you train a population to tally every group of Americans by race and ethnicity, first and foremost, keep track of people's genetic background every time you see a picture. Really? What effect does that have? When you promote group identity, even as you intentionally destroy national identity, if you do all of those things, what kind of country do you get at the end? Well, you get a scary, divided country. The kind of country where you need steel fencing outside the national legislature. It's very obvious where all of this is going, and it's very, very bad. Part of the solution is to stop talking like this immediately. No more aging spies and cable news declaring war on American citizens. Domestic political enemies more dangerous than Al-Qaeda. What? No more power-mad members of Congress dividing people by race so they can conquer. White fragility, white supremacy, white sounds. Those are racial attacks. Let's stop lying about it. We shouldn't talk that way in public. Those attacks are making people crazy. And by the way, over time, possibly making people dangerous. For real. Too threatened. Too nuts. Watch this clip and ask yourself what kind of effect this woman is having on the United States right now. There are legitimate white supremacist sympathizers that sit at the heart and at the core of the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives. 
There's no consequences for racism, no consequences for misogyny, no consequences for insurrection. And no consequences means that they condone it. We are now away from acting out of fealty to their president that they had in the Oval Office. And now we are talking about fealty to white supremacist organizations as a political tool. By the way, let's just be honest for a second. That woman is a tool of corporate power posing as a truth teller. Look at her campaign contributions. Who is supporting her campaigns? People who want to change the subject away from economics to identity politics. That whole pose is fraudulent in her case. But listen specifically to what she says and think about the effect on the people listening, the people standing in airports who hear her say that. Quote, fealty to white supremacist organizations as a political tool. What does that even mean? We're not even sure who she's talking about. Apparently the Republican Party and its grand legal Kevin McCarthy of California. That's not true, but it's worse than that. This is a fantasy. It's a very dark fantasy designed to terrify people and make them easier to command. Over time, probably not long now, it will have other more insidious effects. Talk like that from our leaders, from our elected officials is going to turn some of our citizens very, very radical. You don't wanna live in a country with very, very radical people. So to be clear, whatever you hear about Fox News being radical, we wanna live in a country that looks like, I don't know, 2005, where your race is not the most important thing about you, where you have a chance to get ahead by playing by the rules, that's called moderate. That's called democracy. That's the republic that we want. And talk like this, which is everywhere all of a sudden, is the enemy of the country we once lived in. Jason Whitlock is a journalist and a truth teller, and we're happy to have him on tonight. Jason, I appreciate your coming on. Here, here's my worry. So you have this weird confluence of events where populism is clearly rising as people decide, hey, the system is actually corrupt and it disenfranchises me and they're mad. At the very same time, you have the people benefiting from the system refusing to acknowledge that and instead attacking the people who were mad. I, I don't, I'm not sure where that goes, but it really worries me. Tucker, great monologue. And, and my reaction, perhaps a little different than what you expect, but Tucker, I just believe they're using race and identity politics as a distraction from the real agenda. And yes. AOC and others don't believe in the founding principles of this country. They don't believe in the Declaration of Independence. They don't believe in the Constitution. They don't believe in the Emancipation Proclamation. They don't believe in what we accomplished in the Civil Rights Movement under the leadership of Martin Luther King. They are the insurrectionists. They are the ones trying to take this country a very dangerous direction. They're distracting everybody with claims of race and racism while they try to usher in socialism, Marxism, and make this country very secular. That is what's going on. Those of us who are believers, those of us who believe in the principles that we were founded upon, and I'm just sorry if it upsets people, this was founded in Christianity, this country was, and that Christianity led to a lot of progress. It ended slavery, it ended Jim Crow, it brought freedom to all Americans and laws that protected all of our freedoms. 
And they're trying to undo all of that. And they're distracting us with talks of race. And anybody that is a believer and believes in our founding principles and believes like America was pretty good when it was a Christian Judeo society. They're trying to silence us, calling white people racist and calling black people that believe in those things, a coon or an Uncle Tom and silence and make all those all of us that believe in our founding principles we're the bad guys don't listen to them they're racist they're sellouts they don't believe in this new america that we're bringing in this global uh, uh society that we're bringing in that's going to make everything better it's not going to make things better we're already seeing the evidence it makes us worse it has us at each other's throats it has us at the brink of destabilization yeah i think that's right i mean the the difference in vision is really simple. Most religious people, certainly Christians, are universalists. They think that every person is equal before God because we are all created by God, so we all have equal value. They're selling something very different, in my view, and much darker than that. They're selling something very secular. They're creating a godless country. And I'm sorry, and I know Joe Biden is a practicing Catholic. Uh, but I just, based on the actions, based on the people that are being empowered, based on the way they are trying to demonize 75 million Trump supporters and voters, the, the way we're trying to demonize them, it's just unfair, it's inaccurate. Those people have a voice in this country, a well-earned voice in this country. They can't all be reduced to, oh my God, uh, I have impure thoughts. Everybody that has walked this planet, except for one person, in my opinion, Jesus Christ, has had impure thoughts, has been right. a sinner. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, certainly a sinner. Martin Luther King, an idol to me, an icon, certainly a sinner. Impure thoughts. I I I'm just sorry that this little fantasy world where liberals and Democrats are these perfect people and everybody else is evil and racist and a sellout. This is a fantasy land. They, they are not Jesus Christ. I'm just sorry. And I know they have appointed themselves that and it's driving a lot of people crazy, including me. I gotta be honest with you. I, I'm so concerned about this country and I'm so concerned about the people that are being silenced. And if, if those of us that are believers and believe in these founding principles, if we don't put our differences aside and come together and stand together and stand on the truths that we know, the country's gonna fall. I believe that completely. You're a brave man. Jason Whitlock, thank you. 47. Okay, so years ago, there's a trend in fashion. It was called norm coring. Okay, norm coring is a term that is a mashup of two terms, normal and hardcore, right? You were hardcore normal was the basic idea of this. The, the term was coined in 2013. There was a trend at casting group called K-Hole and they published a report in which they talked about norm coring. The idea was to blend into the crowd. You were gonna start wearing like J. Crew clothes and stuff from the gap, right? This was norm core. You're gonna be militantly normal. Okay, so this is the media's attempt to to do. Uh, Biden is the normal core guy. That's what they're going to do. So Biden campaigned in 2020 as a, I'm going to return to normalcy. Right. This is so crazy. Everything is nuts. And of course, this was the call from the moment that Trump entered office was we cannot we can never pretend this is normal. This is not normal. Every single thing Trump did was this is absolutely not normal, even if it was totally normal. And if he fired a U.S. attorney, which he had every power to do and happened pretty regularly when an administration enters office, it was, this is not normal. We cannot pretend this is normal. Now, there are a lot of things about President Trump 
weren't normal, right? I mean, President Trump liked to tweet a lot. President Trump liked to say crazy stuff on a fairly regular basis. President Trump was certainly the only person as the president of the United States who have uttered the word kofefe, right? President Trump, a lot about him that wasn't normal. But here was the weird thing for a lot of conservatives about President Trump. While he himself was not a normal human, and while he himself was this garrulous and, and bloviating real estate reality TV star, right? I mean, that, that's what he was. Many of his policies, super normal, right? Restoring America on the military stage, perfectly normal. Lowering taxes, perfectly normal. Putting in place judges who are going to properly interpret the law, perfectly normal, right? His actual policy was super normal compared to the absolute abnormality of the Obama administration, which radically moved us in the direction of identity politics, which revised the relationship entirely between the United States government and the American citizen, which completely racialized American politics. If you compare not the personal manner and affect of the commander in chief, right? If you compare the personal affect of the commanders in chief, Barack Obama was more normal than than Trump and Biden is more normal than Trump. If you compare the policy, Trump was more normal than both, like a lot more normal than both. Because if you look at the shift of radical change, radical change was coming from Obama. It was not coming from Trump. There was no radical change in policy. There's a bit of a, uh, of a backtrack on some of the radical change of Obama's policy. But even there, it wasn't as radical as you would hope if you were a conservative. Right? We were still trend- spending $4 trillion a year. We were sp- still blowing up the amount of money that the government was spending. So his policy was a lot more normal, Trump's was, than Obama's. Now Biden comes in. And what we are going to do is we're going to say, OK, we're restoring normalcy. This was Biden's entire campaign. He's the most normal, normal who has ever normal. What a normie. He's just a normal dude who normals for a living. Like that's that's all he's been for 50 years. He has been normal. I mean, sure, he's not super normal. Sure. I mean, he's been in government service since he was 29 years old. He was elected to the Senate at the age of 29. Sure. He has spent virtually every moment since then, either on the public dole or making money, having been on the public dole. Sure, he doesn't actually live a normal lifestyle for most Americans. Right? I mean, it, it happens to be true that by any American standard at this point in his life, he's a very, very wealthy man. I think his net worth is somewhere in the neighborhood of about $10 million. But he's the most normal person who has ever normal, right? I mean, he took Amtrak, super normal guy. And the more normal they can make Biden seem, the more you are going to ignore the fact that his policy is absolutely abnormal. The more they can make it seem like Joe Biden is basically like your friendly uncle or your friendly grandpa or your friendly great, 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 great grandpa. The more they can make it seem like that, the less you're going to pay attention to the fact that he's actually cramming down a a particular view of the United States that is wrongheaded and a bunch of policy that is super not normal. And the media are invested in this because the media are just the the public relations wing of the Democratic Party. It's astonishing how fast the media have kicked into gear on this one on on virtually every front. They just uh, we on the right, we said, you know what? Your, your newfound aggressiveness against the Trump administration, we find it weird because you didn't do any of that when Obama was president. And they're like, no, we're aggressive with everybody. And then Biden enters office and they just start slavering. I mean, it's the best little whorehouse in Texas for the Biden administration over there. It's incredible. And so let me give you an example. So yesterday, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, very normal. Everybody there is normal. Norm, no, 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 normal. OK, so Jen Psaki, she is taking questions on her cell phone for the president of the United States. And she tweets out, last week I asked you for your questions and you delivered. Answered a bunch here and looking forward to doing this again soon. Spoiler, revealing POTUS's favorite ice cream. And President Biden tweeted back, can confirm it's chocolate chip. So normal, man. So normal. I mean, he's so normal that his favorite ice cream is chocolate chip, which is like the most normal ice cream, right? I mean, if he said vanilla, then you'd be like, oh, well, he doesn't like chocolate. And if he said chocolate, you'd be like, well, probably he doesn't like vanilla. So, and if he said cookie dough, you'd be like, well, you know, 
That, that, that a lot of carbs in there. So instead, he was just like chocolate chip. And it was, wow, look how normal that guy is. That guy is so normal. I've never met somebody as normal as Joe Biden. So Yasha Monk, who, who's writing I typically like at The Atlantic, he immediately tweets out, it's so nice to have a boring president. Okay, and that's going to be the theme. He's a boring president. Now, you can have a boring man who is president without him being a boring president. This is the thing. You can have a boring man who is the president of the United States without the presidency being particularly boring. Okay, Woodrow Wilson, extraordinarily boring human being, or like just a bore from top to bottom. His presidency was one of the worst presidencies in American history. It was characterized by vast amounts of terribleness. You have perfectly normal people as president of the United States, and yet the presidency is not boring because it turns out the presidency is not just the personality. The presidency is what you do with the power. The presidency is the policy that you implement that affects, at this point, 330 million Americans. Yasha Monk then followed up. He said, folks, I have no doubt that like any president, Joe Biden will get plenty of things wrong. I'll speak up when he does. But if you don't feel deep relief that we now have a decent and competent man in the White House, we have very different assessments of the past four years. Okay, well, what if I'm mostly concerned, as I was during the Trump administration, with the policy that comes out of the White House that affects me? What if I'm mostly concerned with the direction the United States moves? Now, none of that is an attempt to justify the various excesses and insanities of the Trump White House. But I think that we can acknowledge on a baseline level that the policy pursued by the Trump administration was shockingly normal. Again, for a, for a president who is definitely not a normal dude, that was a shockingly normal policy White House. And then we get this, which is he's so normal, guys. We can, he's so normal, we can go to sleep. We can just go to sleep. We don't even have to do our jobs here in the media. In fact, it's over. We, we no longer have to worry about anything. OK, so the, the norm coring, the, the attempt to pretend that Joe Biden is like the most normal person who has ever lived is so in swing on the left. I mean, to the point where they are now out there taking the least normal parts of Biden and making them normal. It's pretty incredible. So here's Brian Stelter, who reliable sources. He's supposed to be the media watchdog. And instead, of course, he is just Joe Biden's lapdog. Here he was. Honestly, I'm just my new nickname for the main for the establishment media when it comes to Democratic administrations. They're the human centipede. They're just the human centipede. Anyway, Here's here's Brian Stelter explaining that Joe Biden is making news boring again. He's making news. boring. See, here's the thing. If you were a news person, Brian Stelter, the news would not be boring. He's pursuing some fairly radical policy right off the bat. We'll get to that in a moment. But it's boring because, you see, all you wanted to cover. Trump made their job so easy. He really did. The reason that Trump made their job easy is because every day they would get up. They would look at Trump's Twitter feed and that would decide what they covered that day. He would literally just tweet out the news cycle. He'd be like. This country is a bleep hole. I mean, oh my God, that's 12 hours of content. Get me a panel, Jamel Hill. I, I want get, I, I, you know, I need on air right now. Get Michael Eric Dyson on the phone. Stat, the president tweeted out that a country is a bleep hole country. And everybody's like, that, okay, yeah, that's like not great, but I'm just wondering what that has to do with policy. I'm like, no, 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 not normal. We're going to have 12 hours of not normal with Chirons. Not normal, right? That, that was the whole, the entire Trump administration was that. The truth is the saddest people in the world in the media that Trump's Twitter got banned are the members of the media because now they actually are supposed to have to do their jobs. But here's the thing. They're not going to do their jobs. Instead, they have literally their new policy in the media is to declare themselves irrelevant. I've never seen anything like this in the media. We felt that we were relevant during the Trump administration because we were calling balls and strikes. I'm a conservative. I was going to give you my opinion of what Trump did. I was going to give you my opinion of, yes, the tweets, but also the policy. The media were like, no, we're not going to cover the policy at all. We're just going to cover the tweets. And then everything with regard to policy will be seen through the prism of the tweets. But now that a Democrat is in the White House and the Democrats have Congress, now the media are declaring that they no longer are relevant. I've never heard of anything like this. It's amazing. 
They have the same perspective about their job that I would if I were a politician, which is my job would be to make myself irrelevant so you can live your life. But the media, their job is not to be irrelevant. Their job is to cover the news. But here's Brian Stelter of Reliable Sources explaining. Basically, we're done. The news is boring. You don't have to watch anymore. Turn off CNN. What is going on here? Here's Brian Stelter. Is President Biden making the news boring again? People are always asking what the media will do post-President Trump. This week, after Biden's inauguration, they've been asking, are reporters going through withdrawal? Are they missing Trump's tweets? Are they lost without outrages to cover? These headlines from from Axios and other websites point out that, that Biden's plan is dull by design. So is he making the news boring again? Is he, is he making the news boring? So and, and then he shows a couple of headlines, right? Ax- to our articles, and yeah, this, this is going to be a long show, but that's okay. Even if it's three hours, I really don't care. Most of you are listening to it on audio. I will promise I fixed the audio and boosted it a little bit, but it was the program I used. I had an issue last podcast with the conversion down here. It was taken really slow, and it's because my subscription was out. So I redid the subscription, and you'll have the good quality because that was a horrible audio, and I apologize. Here is... uh. Some of the articles covering what, what we've covered. Pelosi's chilling and true remark in her weekly news conference today. The enemy is within the House of Representatives. That's Amy Siskin, which is supposed to be a journalist, but you know. Fuzzy chimp. The rhetoric from Speaker Pelosi could, invite viol- could incite violence against members of the GOP. Impeach and remove her. Why not? That's what you're saying Trump did for four years. We had lefty violence, as stated, and you blame Trump's rhetoric. He was doing it. When the baseball diamond happened, we talked about how horrible it was for a day. We never said Bernie Sanders was responsible. The entire summer, we never linked to Speaker Pelosi, all these fucking squad members, all of CNN, all of MSNBC, their rhetoric that was inciting violence and people were getting murdered and $3 billion worth of damage was happening. We didn't say anything about impeachment. And this isn't a defense of Trump. This is just a reality. We are playing things against one side. We keep playing it one side for the whole establishment, corporations, social media, and eventually you're going to get some really extreme motherfuckers. Professor, all Republicans are guilty of the capital attack, should be forced to shut the hell up. Lincoln Project. I'm sorry, is Rudy saying Project Lincoln coordinated groups to turn 1-6 violence? Rick Wilson. In which Bannon literally laughs and claims Rudy, blah, 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 blah. We're going to sue him and sue Trump and sue everybody. Those are conservatives, supposedly. I don't think they ever were. And then you get the latest incident, because we're waiting for, we're going to save AOCs. Corey Bush. A maskless Taylor Green and her staff berated me in a hallway. She targeted me and others on social media. I'm moving my office away from hers for my team's safety. A call for the expulsion of members who incited the insurrection day one. Bring HR Res 25 to the floor. She's the one that wants the 14. But the problem is, she was live streaming. All right, this is the same girl, Cori Bush. She is actually a BLM activist who got voted into Congress. Media would cover it if it was a QAnon, a Proud Boy. And I'm sorry, maybe some of you with liberal sensibilities think that that's not the same. But it's the same. 
They took their dictums down. Have you read them before they took it down? It's extreme Marxism, and that's what they want the country to be. That's pretty much their play. On January 13th, after members tested positive for COVID, they put us to the place, and she was one of them. She's a bitch. The problem is, whatever you say about this Taylor Green lady, Cory Bush is a leader of St. Louis Black Lives Matter terrorist mob who trespassed in gated neighborhood to threaten the lives of McCloskeys. She's lying to you. She berated me. Maybe Representative Bush didn't realize I was on live video. You know what? This, a bunch of bad people do, or a small amount actually, do a really bad thing, attack the Capitol, which I denounce and completely am against and don't agree with the violence. But yet Democrats who cheered on, supported, called peaceful protests, Antifa BLM riots the entire year long that caused billions of dollars worth of damage, attacked American businesses, um, burned down Minneapolis. Let's see, what else did they do? Then they funded, then they supported uh, bail bond links, bail bond links for criminals. You know what? Yeah, don't yell at people. You know what? You shouldn't bring COVID positive members in here spreading COVID everywhere. Stop being a hypocrite. Yeah, this is how it is here now. This is how it is. Stop being a hypocrite. This is who, this is arguing with my Democrat, Democrat colleagues, supposed colleagues. That's how it is. That's how it is now in America. So you're witnessing exactly what we're having to live through. That's the use. That is the usual with these jackholes. It's always a fucking lie. It's always only grounded about 1% truth and they just make a bunch of shit up. But what it really comes down to is they're going after her because she is trying to impeach Biden. No, say what you will. There is more to impeach Biden just on the Hunter laptop that the FBI didn't even look at than there is on the phone call, on the phone call to fucking Georgia, and on the speech at the Capitol. But the sad part is, conservatives believe that's not true. I mean, they're so afraid of any women on the right. The New York Times is attacking Christy Nome's COVID response. That's because they think Nome is going to run in 2024. And then you just put, depose it to the people the media love again. Romney has an 84% approval rating with Democrats. I saw Cheney has a 16. Yet people still think he's a principled conservative. He's got honor. He's got dignity. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He has lost where he's at. I understand Trump's evil. I understand he was a piece of shit. But you you brought in the Kraken. We are outright hip deep in the Kraken right now. Every fucking policy is worst case scenario. And our justice system is this. And this goes with the Tucker. That's why I played it. People are not going to tolerate this. I mean, we've already talking. The Capitol, we sent the FBI out and got all those insurrectionists. Should they gone to jail? Sure. They broke the law. 
The people that murdered somebody? Damn sure. We did violence? Yeah. That's not my point. My point is, we didn't do shit for a summer. 600 cops injured. $3 billion of damage. And we said, violence is the language of the oppressed. And that's what our justice system did. So right now, FBI lawyer who forged emails in Carter Page FISA process sentenced to probation. IRS, Benghazi, you name Iran deal. Name anything in Obama's era that somebody went to jail. Oh, Tony, those aren't real scandals. Not like Trump. Trump's bad. George Bush did 911. The worst thing you could say under Obama is crackpots like Trump said that he wasn't born in America. But we haven't had the same justice forever. Ever. Because simultaneously, the first thing the Justice Department under Biden did, other than a manhunt for everybody at the Capitol, Obama-appointed judge sentenced FBI attorney Kevin Kleinsmith, who forged emails in Carter Page FISA process, to probation. Simultaneously, Ricky Vaughn, a meme maker, is accused of using memes to spread misinformation and disenfranchise voters. Was it during the 2020 election? No. 2016. How's the media covering it? The racist guy behind one of the most influential pro-Trump Twitter accounts was arrested for election interference. He could get 10 days. Or 10 years. FISA? Lying? Russiagate lie, total lie, all of it's a lie, it was floated by Hillary, our intelligence is saying it, all 95 intelligence, since we have 95 that we don't have, but that's what the media was saying, was it 18, 19, he gets off a guy who did memes going to 10 years, because, once again, if you do illegal shit for Democrats, you get away with it, if you do illegal shit for Republicans, you go to jail, Newsweek's coverage, Florida man charged with election interference for spreading disinformation. Disinformation is now a crime. Social media influencer charged with election interference from the FBI. Douglas Mackey, a.k.a. far-right influencer Ricky Vaughn, has been charged with Brooklyn Fed with 2016 election interference. Hey, Trump supporters, skip poll lines in election 2016 and text in your vote. Text your vote or legit or vote tomorrow on Super Wednesday. That's a liberal. She didn't go to jail. Those were all over the place in 2020. I saw them. Google itself didn't tell conservatives voting day was coming. They got caught. They purposely didn't say your vote's coming. That Tucker soundbite I just fucking played you said Joe Biden is the president States certify and ensure votes are great before they certify it. Learn more. Tucker's never challenged the election. Ever. He never said anything. 
So the left can do things, but the right can't? Is that our justice system? I mean, I know our justice system is about to be set up. If you're white, you're going to jail. If you're black, you're getting off. I got it. It's equity. What, whatever that is. Sean Davis, this is insane. Hillary Clinton played a foreign operative to defraud the FBI, which then defrauded a federal court to sway the 2016 election. No charges. But a vile internet troll who peddled a dumb meme in 2016. That's a federal crime. How could anyone take this administration seriously? Well, you you better. Joe Biden sets dark money record, raises $145 million from outside groups. Democrats' new minimum wage legislation reaffirms their commitment to blowing up the economy. Just in NBC Politics, because they're all for this shit. House and Senate Democrats introduced the legislation to raise the federal minimum wage from $7.25 to $15 by 2025. 2025? 2025 is a joke. Not good enough. See, told you, Democrats and Republicans are two sides of the same coin. We need new parties. No, that's, that's a lefty. Garbage. Not good enough. Not even close. Now. Do it now. Those are all lefties. Biden and far leftists ignore 77% of Americans who don't want to afford a, a fund abortions worldwide. They did the Mexico City policy. Now, this one they said they were going to do, but what he wouldn't answer is whether he was going to repeal the Hyde Amendment, and now they're going to try to repeal the Hyde Amendment. Now, for those who read the New York Times and WAPO and, and don't go actually and research straight from PPFA, we're already paying for 670,000 chemical abortions a year. The Obama administration legalized and pretty much made federally funded Abortion pills. That's a violation of the Hyde, but when the Hyde was written, there wasn't chemical abortion, so they got away with it. They term it emergency contraception. They don't call it birth control, because for them, an abortion is emergency contraception. Ah, oops, I fucked up. And remember, my big thing about this is I don't want to ban abortion. I want restrictions like 70% of the country does. And 67 of the country is with me from Gallup, Pew, pretty much anywhere you go. They're not for fund, federally funded abortion. Nobody wants federally funded abortions. Nobody's for it. Nobody wants to pay for somebody else's fucking mistake. We did a whole election with Sandra Fluke that we needed free fucking birth control. You got it. Use it. Or do what we did. I was 20 fucking three and I got a vasectomy because my wife couldn't take the pills. She had three pills a month. Or three periods a month. I got fixed at 23. We had two kids. That was it. So I'm not being a hypocrite over here just judging people. I'm just saying. Nobody is for live birth abortion. Nobody is for federally funded abortion. But because Trump's bad, a bunch of conservatives voted for Biden, and now we have federally funded abortions. It's coming. Not going to get stopped. Already see media bullshit, just like fucking Shapiro said there. We're norm cornering all this. Oh, everybody wants this. They don't show you polls. There's no polls. There's American people want this. No, they don't. Then the big one during the election. Wouldn't answer the question. Never answer the question. Biden launches commission on Supreme Court reform. 
So they're going to pack the court. The court's going to get packed. And all the things that conservatives that voted for Biden who said it was going to protect him are out the window because it's not going to protect us. I mean, you couldn't even get protection with Roberts. Roberts turned with the left every fucking time. But now we're going to pack the court and have a rotating liberal 50-50. Roberts pulls the pin on the grenade for the left every time. So now we really don't have checks. Biden bans term China virus, as MSM referred to British and South African coronavirus variants. Democrats introduced bill to massively expand mail-in voting. Checkmate. I mean, I know it's hard for some people to capture the concept that the left isn't doing mail-in voted because it gives them an advantage. They just think it's the left doing what the media tells them the left's doing, which is pushing for everybody to vote. Why should we stop people from voting? Everybody should vote. Blue states have been doing mail-in voting forever, and there's a reason why they do mail-in voting. It's easy to set up fraud. If they ever feel elections are getting close, they just don't deliver those. The USPS is was at Biden block parties. You need to get out of the freaking bubble of mainstream media and all you have to do is see actual videos, not doctored, of USPS trucks driving up to Biden block parties in Philadelphia, New York, Chicago. It's a union. Of course it's going to support that. But blue states have stayed blue states as long as they've been blue states where there is no challenge because they enacted mail-in voting. The left isn't doing this for any other reason that they know there's an advantage for it. Whatever that advantage is, we'll never know because we'll never actually investigate it. The only time we've ever investigated mail-in voting in my lifetime was North Carolina, where we redid a runoff because they said they stole it with ballot harvesting, but then the Republican won anyway. That was 2018. That's when mail-in voting was fraught with fucking fraud. MSNBC said it. CNN said it. All the major Dems did. And then two years later, because of COVID, we had to do the mail-in voting. Because they knew that was the only way they are going to get everybody to get out to go vote for a guy who was in his basement. And never talked about a serious policy. But with the norm-coring that the media is doing... Still making Trump and bringing Trump up and the Republicans are dangerous. It's everywhere. Ponytails and lipstick sweeping changes to Army Groovy standings are coming. When you get into this article, this is the scariest fucking shit ever. What they did is they put a committee of woke social justice jackasses together. Ten black, four female white, three Asian, a black guy and a white guy. And they came up with standards. By demographics, the army is not 50% African-American black. Female. It's not. But once again, see, that's how it works. You can overdo a race to give inclusion. So all these new standards, fuck AR670-1. We're just going to go fucking full woke. Biden working to replace Andrew Jackson with Harriet Tumburn. 
Tubman, James Clyburn working to make Black National Anthem America's National Hymn to promote unity. Unity. Woke trans woman asked Joe Biden to ditch women's health care and favor more inclusive health care for people who get pregnant and bleed. That's just a little woke. I have so much woke, but I'm not going to push all the woke. Joe Biden, you can't legislate by executive order unless you're a dictator. Joe Biden issued 33, now 40, executive orders and actions in the first week. Trump did 17, and it was the end of the fucking... (laughs) It was the end of the fucking democracy. Democracy has died in the dark. It's over. It's just over. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we don't... We really need this guy. He's a good guy. And if you don't see the left as principled who care about America, you're an extremist. You're seditionist. You're a piece of shit. But to the point, I don't see anything the left's doing right now other than a gigantic power grab. And as Whitlock said, they don't respect the country. They don't respect the Constitution. They literally want to make this a fucking Marxist country, and they're doing it right before our eyes with the complicit media who's not covering any of this. That's why you don't see polls. That's why you don't see anything other than the prep work for, oh, the Republicans, they're they're just not going to go along with everything, and that's bad. That's just bad. We we need to make sure that we just get rid of that racist since fucking Jim Crow fucking bullshit. That's what we need to do. So before we go into some more extreme shit, let's let's cover that so I don't forget to cover because I have quite a few freaking articles here, and then we're going to play a few sound bites. And go into this AOC shit. I am not purposely covering this fucking bullshit about the stock market. Um, Tucker did it. Every conservative's doing it. Yeah, I got it. It, it. If you think the Biden administration is literally for the people and that's why you voted for them, you're fucking smoking crack. They're for companies. They're no different than any other. I mean, that's if you want to really say what's wrong with these two parties, the two parties are both too linked to fucking business. They need business. Business is who they are. NBC News decides that Ken Dillian's anti-Semitic scoop on Biden and official fell short of the reporting standards. A family foundation linked to President Biden's senior director for cyber policy on the White House National Security Council donated more than a half a million dollars in recent years to Maine pro-Israel lobbying group in Washington, according to public records. The donations first reported by David Korn and Mother Jones do not appear to pose a legal issue, but some current and former national security officials told NBC News they risk creating the possible appearance of bias in favor of Israel by a top American official. While Israel is a close American tie, it operates its own inter- interests and aggressively spies on the U.S. They're evil. They're Jews. 
Yeah, see, Ken Dillian should have listened to the second group of current and former officials, not the ones that written the story. Really great story for today's of all days. Thanks for reminding us where we're standing, putting us in our place. Imagine publishing this on Holocaust Remembrance Day. Of course they did. CNN discovers how checks and balances can thwart Biden's agenda. Defeat in Texas shows how the conservative judiciary can thwart President Biden's agenda. They stopped his ban on deportations. But that's your media covering it. And I just want you to remember that every fucking thing Trump did was blocked by liberal judges. It took him three years to put in a travel ban. Which is now gone. Washington Post executive decision after slamming Trump firing paper now bemoans challenges to removing his appointees. Biden is firing some top Trump holdovers, but in some cases, his hands may be tied. Okay. Daniel Dale takes on Joe Biden's economic speech and finds it highly factual, despite nuances. This is our world. Glenn Klesner. We have no plans to start a Biden false and misleading claim tracker. We covered that last podcast. CNN's Daniel Dale fact-checked many of the statistical claims President Joe Biden made in his economic speech and found Biden was highly factual, though there were some nuance worth noting. Facts first. Fact-checking seven statistical claims from Biden's quite factual economic speech in the whole world. Are you going to do similar reporting as you did with the Trump administration? Journalist. Nuances. Because the left can always lie. Something tells us the press will be way too busy licking Joan Biden's hand to fact-check this absolute whopper. Biden tells the press there's the smartest group of people in town. The love is back. The love is back. It's good times. Charles Blow, threat of white supremacy calls for renaming schools. All right. I was going to wait for a bit on this, but I have it right here. Let's let's go ahead and cover that while we're not playing sound bites because this is really good shit. So basically what happened is Glenn Greenwald got a copy of this San Francisco school board and they put out uh, this list of changes. They're going to change the names of the school. Uh, the Google Doc, where the San Francisco School Board did its research for deciding which historical figures to cancel, is, in, is public, and it's hilariously bad. So we go over here. Uh, Balboa High School. Balboa, a Spanish explorer, killed hundreds of indigenous people. Peter Martyr de Aguilera. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is not seen as much of a hero at all among many American Indian American Indian nations. Mission Mission de San Fresco de Asis, common name is Mission Dolores. All California mission, missions are sites of slavery and colonization, missionization of California natives. George Washington, slave owner, colonizer. 
Lowell High School. The commitment to anti-slavery cause waved over the years and, and his opinion on African Americans, as did his opinion on African Americans. Aptos Middle School, supposed to be Ohalo word, but not sure which. James Denman was SFUSD's first superintendent, but he's a racist. That's it. And show I proved it. Uh, Edward Everett, senator, his pro-slavery stance was unpopular. A.P. Gianniani founded Bank of America, so got to get rid of that name. Uh, Dr. Martin Lu- uh, uh, Herbert Hoover, racist president accepting of white supremacy while serving as Secretary of Commerce. James Lick financed racist early days statue. Presidio means a Spanish fortified military settlement, enslavement of California native peoples, theft of native land. The Richmond was renamed to Roosevelt at a school board meeting. Roosevelt opposed civil rights and is a racist. Word for word. Uh, More research, research needed on Horace Mann. Named after, okay, waged war on behalf of the U.S. Army, responsible for kidnapping Geronimo, Lalton Alternative. James Madison was a slave over. Winfield Scott was a U.S. commander. President Jackson ordered Scott to personally take command operations against a Seminole nation. Cancel him. Paul Revere served as a commander of land artillery in the disaster at Penobscot Expedition. Penobscot, whatever. This is directly connected to colonization. Thomas Edison. Let's see what they say on him. Has a fondness for electrocuting animals. <laughs> uh, Alamo, Alamo. Colonization. Alvarado. Spanish colonizer. Algana. This is named after World War and Battle of Argonne Follis that has separate but equal colored attitudes. Dr. George Washington, do we need to say any more? That's it. Okay, I'm not going to play with this anymore. That, that's, that's, that's what we voted for. Yeah, that's, that's good shit right there. That's really good shit. And of course, Charles Blows is all for it because, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna be fucking for it because that's, that's who he is. I could go through all the abortion shit. I'm not going to. Uh, I'll just do this last thing, and then we're going to move on and do some sound bites because there was other big things that happened. Abortion funding isn't as popular as Democrats think. Recent polls debunks much of what the progressives believe. That didn't come from the Heritage Foundation. That didn't come from the Daily Wire. That didn't come from faux news. That came from Slate. So, this week also, because he's such a normal guy, he's so middle of the road. I mean, Biden, he's a normal guy. Here is the media at Unison about his extreme climate policies. 
Later today, uh, President Biden will be signing some executive actions around climate. One of them is going to actually elevate climate change as a national security priority. A first look at President Biden's plan to tackle climate change. And this one is near and dear to your heart. Absolutely. In fact, we're going to be talking with the new White House National Climate Advisor, Gina McCarthy. She's going to tell us what the president's going to be announcing today, and why he is classifying climate change as a matter of national security. One of the first actions President Biden took after taking office was rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, signaling his commitment to battling climate change. Well, today, the president is set to lay out his plan and announce several new executive actions, including establishing a national climate task force. White House National Climate Advisor, the first one, Gina McCarthy, joining us now with more on the administration's climate agenda. Nearly 10.3 million acres of land destroyed by wildfires last year, record setting 30 storms named during the Atlantic hurricane season. Globally, the second hottest year on record. And today, President Biden plans on taking further executive actions, including elevating climate change to a national security priority. Why is climate change a matter of national security? It's one of the most significant threats we have to our safety, both here domestically as well as internationally, which is why the president today is signing three executive orders. And you're going to really get excited about this. They're going to uh, create the Civilian Climate Corps Initiative, putting an entire generation of Americans to work conserving and restoring public lands and water akin to what FDR yeah. did. Wow. Right. This is like a public works project, a new deal, uh, an AmeriCorps for the environment, yeah, uh, which is something we need. Uh, and to, to you know, I'm going to put you on the spot, uh, but I think I know the answer, and it's not a hard question. We've seen the, in, the extraordinary difference that Jen Psaki, as White House Press Secretary, has brought to the White House briefings. First of all, there are briefings. Second of all, they are rooted in truth, and they're not confrontational when people are just asking questions. Uh, but the White House at least had travel pools and tra you know, access to the president. There has not been at the Pentagon for the last four years, and certainly not at the State Department. Are you committed to being open and accessible and having briefings for my colleagues over at the Pentagon? A hundred percent, the State Department when you were the leader there. That's right, a hundred percent. General Lawson made it very clear uh, that he expects us to be transparent, to be accountable, uh, and to be accessible to the press corps that covers this building, as well as uh, reporters all around the world. You can see us. Uh, I'll, hopefully, I'll be getting up to the podium here pretty soon. I just got to get a few days to get to get uh, to get up to speed on things. Uh, but we're absolutely 100% committed to com being completely transparent and accessible and honest with the, the the men and women of the press corps who cover this building. And it's a, it's a terrific press corps, as I can attest from knowing my colleagues and those in other yeah. other agencies. So they absolutely are. You're you're off to a great start, John Kirby. Thanks for <laughs> coming to us on day one. Great Thank you. you. Well, my first thought with John Kerry, I, I am one of those people that thinks it's deeply elitist. What he said is that John Kerry owns a private jet, and private jets uh, exert 40 times more carbon emissions than flying on a regular plane. And anyone who is going on television, let alone working in an administration that just got rid of 10,000 jobs with the Keystone Pipeline, shouldn't be riding around in a private jet. If it is this much of an existential threat, as Joe Biden's administration is saying, and many people believe, and I, I too believe, but I have a different way of going
going about the solutions, then you shouldn't be flying around in private jets. And I think part of the problem is for average Americans, they see the deep hypocrisy in this because it seems to be that everyone should make a sacrifice who's middle class or below, but no one in the in the elites needs to. And I, I just think it's ridiculous. I worry about this seesawing pendulum going back and forth where we're just using executive orders to legislate. And it's not just uh, me and Sarah that have criticism of it. The New York Times has come out pretty hard criticism. The New York Times isn't exactly a bastion of conservatism saying, quote, uh, this is no way to make law. It's a flawed substitute for legislation. Now, if you're Joe Biden and you're losing the New York Times on this and you've made 19 executive orders as opposed to President Trump, who did five in his first week, President Obama, who did five in his first week, President Clinton and Bush, who did zero, it may be time to start working with the other side, because if you're just going to legislate in the same way that President Trump did, this isn't a sea change. This isn't healing and this isn't coming together. I thought the whole point of the Biden administration is that you weren't going to be like the Trump administration. The stroke of a pen. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense how. At the stroke of a pen, me, my buddies, all of us, we lost our jobs. I just got a, bought this car. I had a six-year payment plan on it. So I'm probably going to have to sell the car. And then, probably won't be able to make next month's mortgage. doesn't fucking make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. How did Donald Trump I know how they took it. They didn't steal the election. When you steal something, you that's when no one knows that you took it. But they outright boldly went in and said, we're going to fucking take this presidency from you. Screw the American people. Screw you, Donald Trump. Screw everybody. America last. And oh, by the way, you guys are going to lose your job. Now, a really huge objective for the Biden administration is tackling the climate emergency. The question is no longer is it real, but rather how long do we have to wrestle with it? Today, global leaders convened remotely for the Climate Adaptation Summit to share ideas for how to respond to the havoc wreaked by climate change. John Kerry, who's President Biden's special climate envoy, said this to the summit earlier today. Now, some of these impacts are inevitable because of the warming that's already taken place. But if we don't act boldly and immediately by building resilience to climate change, we are likely gonna see dramatic reversals in economic development for everybody. Poor and climate vulnerable communities everywhere will obviously pay the highest price. Leading climate expert Michael Mann has some good news to offer on that front. In his book, The New Climate War, The Fight to Take Back Our Planet, Mann lays out his battle plan for saving our environment and, in fact, of course, our world. Michael Mann, welcome to the program. So can, can I ask you about the title of your book? What is the new climate war and what was the old climate war? Yeah, thanks, Christiane. It's great to be with you. Uh, the old climate war was this assault, a decades-long assault 
on the basic science of climate change by fossil fuel industry groups, uh, those uh, advocating for them, advocating for their agenda, an effort to discredit the science, to discredit the scientists, and convince the public and policymakers that we don't have a problem. Well, that's no longer credible, right? Because we can see the impacts of climate change now playing out in real time in the form of unprecedented extreme weather disasters, floods, heat waves, droughts, wildfires, superstorms. So the forces of inaction, the inactivists, as I call them, can no longer claim that it isn't happening or even that it isn't due to our activity. But what they have tried to do is to introduce a, a number of other tactics in their effort to keep us addicted to fossil fuels. And that includes dividing the community of climate advocates, uh, deflecting attention away from the needed policies, systemic solutions to individual behavior, and offering up false mm -hmm. promises and false solutions. Uh, these are the various tactics in what I call the new climate war. Okay, so to, the old one, I mean, you, you describe what we would call climate deniers. Now you're talking about um, the inactivists. What sort of false solutions are they? Give us what they're telling people as a kind of, you know, to again sort of draw the wool over their eyes, perhaps, in your, in your view. The first order I'm signing is tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. Next one, to restoring trust in government through science and integrity and evidence-based policymaking. More here. And this last one is the President's Council on Advisors on Science and Technology Establishment. Thank you all for your time. Sir, we're going to need scientists and national labs, land-grant universities, historical black colleges and universities to innovate the technologies needed to generate, store, and transmit clean, uh, clean electricity across distances, and battery technology and a whole range of other things. We need engineers to design them and workers to manufacture them. We need iron workers and welders to install them. Technologies they invent, design, and build will ultimately become cheaper than any other kind of energy, helping us dramatically expand our economy and create more jobs with a cleaner, cleaner environment. And we'll become the world's largest exporter of those technologies, creating even more jobs. You know, we're also uh, we're going to build 1.5 million new energy-efficient homes and public housing units that are going to benefit communities three times over. One, by alleviating the affordable, affordable housing crisis. Two, by increasing energy efficiency. And three, by reducing the racial wealth gap linked to home ownership. We're also going to create more than a quarter million jobs to do things like plug the millions of abandoned oil and gas wells that pose an ongoing threat to the health and safety of our communities. They're abandoned wells. They're open now. And we're going to put people to work we're not going to lose jobs in these areas. We're going to create jobs. 
They're going to get prevailing wage to cap those over a million wells. These aren't pie-in-the-sky dreams. These are concrete, actionable solutions. And we know how to do this. The Obama-Biden administration reduced the auto industry, uh, rescued the auto industry, and helped them retool. We need solar energy, cost-competitive with traditional energy, weatherizing more. We, we made it cost-competitive, weatherizing more than a million homes. The Recovery Act of our administ last administration, the Democratic administration, made record clean energy investments, $90 billion. The president asked me to make sure how that money was spent. Uh, uh, the second uh, order I'm going to be signing also changes what the president has done, president, the, the president, what former president uh, has done, and it, uh, a memorandum reversed the my predecessor's attack on women's health, <coughs> me, health access and uh, as we continue to battle COVID-19, even more critical. Now remember, 40 executive action, most of them highly extreme. You know, it's more than the Paris Climate Accord. I mean, we already have people, and I played it on that, literally crying, losing their jobs. What did our press do? Here's a guy in this little montage. Does Biden see himself as a benevolent figure? And I had a follow-up on the, on the markets and everything that's mm -hmm. happening with GameStop. Uh, you did mention, I believe, yesterday um, that the Treasury Secretary is monitoring the situation and she's kind of uh, on top of it. There have been um, some kind of concerns about her uh, previous engagements with Citadel and speaking fees that she has received from Citadel. Are there any plans to have her recuse herself from advising the president on uh, GameStop and the whole Robin Hood situation? Back to the executive orders, the, the questions we were discussing at the start. Um, so I'm still trying to sort of reconcile this uh, daily. What are we? At? Well, I think we're at 26 executive orders now, and, and reconcile that with the the campaign rhetoric. Because um, in October, Joe, uh, Joe Biden said there were limitations on use of executive actions, things he can't do by executive order unless you're a dictator. We're a democracy, we need consensus. Now, I, I think you said earlier that some of these executive orders were being used to um, roll back some of the immoral things uh, that the previous administration had done. If you're calling these things immoral, is that seeking consensus and, and unity? And then also, I mean, does it suggest that President Biden sees himself as perhaps a benevolent dictator? Well, Rob, I'm sure this wasn't your intention, but I think you took the president's comments a bit out of context. Rob, I, was, I wasn't really clear on that, so <laughs> I got a little better information. Nonclaim indicated that uh, he believes, or the administration believes, that schools need more funding for them to be safe enough to reopen for students to go back. But there's been a number of studies, including the recent one out of the CDC, that have shown evidence that schools are perfectly safe for students to go back, and, and there were recommendations that they should go back. So this seems like a bit of a dispute between teachers' unions and and sort of data and the science. So where does the administration stand in that dispute? So just to get some clarification on the CDC study about schools being good to reopen precautions are taking, is the White House position that it needs to be further studied since you're citing just the one school in Wisconsin, or does the White House agree with the recommendations from the CDC about schools reopening? I just wonder if there is a general sense of frustration just about the pace of things, um, you know, given the vaccine distribution, you know, some of what you inherited from the Trump administration, mm -hmm. trying to roll out executive orders, um, you know, working with Congress and sort of having some lawmakers raise concerns. Is it harder to change things than you all thought it would be? Uh, I <laughs> 
And before we go into the ugly, I, I gotta play this rule soundbite, okay? Remember, when Democrats are president and conservatives use the tools that are before them to block the other side's policies, it's called obstruction. When Republicans are president and they block everything he does for four years with help of conservatives who hated Trump, it's not. So, I have been pushing with a lot of people I argue, they're going to end the filibuster, it's all going to 51, and we're fucked forever. And I'm an extremist, you know, I'm out there, I don't have faith in the Republic, all these things people say to me, but here's Stephanie Rule, and tell me, if is it coming from the left, or is it coming from our media? So why even try these bipartisan conversations courting Mitch McConnell? During the Obama administration, Mitch McConnell's signature achievement was blocking Obama, blocking Merrick Garland. Trump wins, and then he gets three Supreme Court justices and a record number of federal judges on the bench. Blocking Obama didn't hurt him. Why try to be bipartisan? Well, look, I think that's in Joe Biden's nature. I think having spent so long in the Senate and understanding how the place used to work. Stephanie, it didn't always work like it does right now. Uh, And I think, look, reaching out to uh, Republicans that are going to want to participate, not everybody will, but I do think most people come to Washington, particularly in the legislative branch, to legislate. So I think reaching out is a good thing. I think for the Biden administration, and you point out, waiting too long to be bipartisan will hurt the economy and it will hurt vaccine distribution. And so I think the test is, doing what you need to do to reach out and bring people that are willing, a coalition of the willing along, but not waiting so long that it impacts economic growth, which is desperately needed. We ended this year with 16 million people receiving some sort of unemployment assistance. And of the 22 million jobs lost in the pandemic, we're halfway there to regaining them. We can't wait for economic stimulus. To that very point, could waiting hurt this administration and their record? You can have Equity Day, Made in America Day. These are very important executive orders. But the average American, they don't know details of executive orders. And if they don't feel like anything is changing for them, does the messaging matter? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. People have to feel it. People have to see it. Look, we're so far from normal. 2020 was such a devastating year that I think in some ways people will know when things are better because they'll feel a sense of normal. All right, well, this is how high tensions are and how much lawmakers are still reeling from the attack on the Capitol. Yesterday, Democrat Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted about the GameStop story, saying that Robin Hood's decision to block retail investors from trading was unacceptable. Republican Senator Ted Cruz responded to her tweet, saying he fully agreed with her stance. But Ocasio-Cortez wants nothing to do with him, firing back on Twitter, quote, I'm happy to work with Republicans on this issue where there's common ground, but you almost had me murdered three weeks ago, so you can sit this one out. Happy to work with almost any other GOP that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you want help, you can resign if you want to help. So, (laughs) Michael Steele, I 
I think that's kind of a fair response. I mean, I think Twitter is a place where people are lobbing pot shots at each other, and it's yeah. it's it's not helpful, honestly. But you know, it was Ted Cruz trying to weasel his way back in after being an insurrectionist and inciting a mob that murdered. No, no, thank you. And 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 Twitter, since Twitter can't control these people. Since Twitter has no sense of responsibility as to what shows up and who shows up on their platform, I guess Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has to... Nothing wrong with that rhetoric, because now we go into the dumb shit. And just remember, you're not seeing it on the media. Santa, Seattle Antifa rioters, they're still rioting, claims destruction of property isn't violence. Federal agents under order of Joe Biden attack and disappear American citizens. We do this right, mainstream media. This is all this week. This, they're, they're out there. Federal agents are storming in, abducting people. Do we remember that during the summer? That was fucking horrible. They floated Enrique Terrero, the leader of Proud Boys Extremist Group, has a past as an informer for federal and local law enforcement, and now we find out that's not true. He was not. And then you get... Conservatives, Romney, for national unity, Republicans must publicly say Biden won legitimately. New York Times, calm down, paranoid GOP. Liberals only want to ban Fox, because Fox is the only thing that literally is criticizing Biden. That's your backdrop to the new game. And the new game is you personally and all the people who challenged the election tried to murder me. They're lumping all 75 million who voted for him. Anybody who said like I did, I just don't believe the 81 million votes. Biden won. Not saying he's not the president, but I don't believe that number. I will never believe that number. And I will guarantee you in 2024, that number won't exist. It just won't exist. It won't be that many votes. And I'll get the, oh, it's because they weren't motivated. Who was motivated for Biden? The media, never Trumpers, conservatives who wanted their party back, got it. And once again... I'm an independent. I don't claim the GOP and I don't claim the Democrats. Why am I so butthurt and bashing for two straight episodes uh, the conservative movement that was called Never Trumper and doing skits about Pragvaya? Which, by the way, my wife helped me with that, so thanks, babe. Well, the only thing I have to defend me is conservatives. The only thing I have to defend me is conservatives. And if we're saying everything's on the up and up, and the 81 million votes came from conservatives that hated Trump, shame on you. Shame the fuck on you. The one thing I respect about Democrats, because I was one back when I was young, is I don't give a fuck if they put up a fucking Chia pet that looks like a black transgender person. They don't vote for it. Conservatives with all their principles and I don't like this and it's just not never Trumpers, the Tea Party and all this crap. They never band together to vote in unison. 
There's always a group splitting off. We, know, we always talk about the fracturing on the left, and there's a lot of fracturing, and they're a mess right now. But the right has lost so many elections because the Christian conservatives wouldn't vote for the person, or this person wouldn't vote for that person, or that person wouldn't. Who gives a fuck? It goes back to my podcast two times ago. I will vote for the country. Am I always right? No. But in the case of Hillary... I know I was right. I don't care how bad you think Trump was. This country would be in shambles right now if she took over. And I know right now, in my heart of hearts, my vote for the fucking demon dog was better than voting for this shithole. Because this stuff right here, remember, she says that he tried to murder her three times. Because they're playing COVID, the insurrection, and they're wearing body armor. They won't go here. They're playing these little theatrics. Unlike Tucker, I don't think it's real. These motherfucking people called for violence for five years. A baseball diamond was beat up. People in the street were beat up for just normal citizens for wearing it. The media showed people during the run-up to 2016, a lady in a Trump jersey getting egged and said it was Trump's fault. They filmed a fucking convention where non-Trumper, the fucking Antifa people started fights. They blamed it on Trump. The baseball diamond was shot up. They blamed it on Trump. Violence continued. Violence continued. Antifa's been torching Portland for fucking 200 days. Violence continues. I played a montage right here. Nancy Pelosi, the entire squad, Maxine Waters, everybody on CNN, all calling for violence, and violence happened. Rand Paul was almost murdered by his neighbor? Multiple people have been harassed at their homes. Tucker Carlson was harassed at his home. And she pulls this stunt. People are going to die. But the difference will be, we won't blame the left's rhetoric. We'll still blame Trump. Don't worry, the ending of the show is them still talking about Trump. Twitter censored 668 tweets from Trump before banning him. Claiming his tweets were inaccurate and that were some risk of violence. But when Representative AOC falsely accused Senator Cruz, Twitter did nothing. Twitter did not comment on the time of this publication. However, AOC lie trended on Twitter. The trend was introduced with the sentence, AOC tells Cruz, you almost got me murdered three weeks ago, so you can sit this one out after you tweeted an agreement with her about Robin Hood. Several Twitter users, including conservative podcast hosts Red States, created a fact check for the tweet on Birdwatch, Twitter new crowdsourced fact check platform. The new platform allows Twitter users to fact check tweets with provide context. Three sources on the tweet and Birdwatch are currently rated helpful. One user wrote, Ted Cruz did not attempt to murder 8OC. The tweet is hyperbole and not a statement of fact. Ted Cruz did not at any time attempt to have anyone murdered. The third one wrote, Senator Cruz challenged the results of the election but did not attempt to have anyone murdered. Other Birdwatch users wrote beneath the tweet sentiment that echoed AOC's original statement. One said, 
The Capitol rioters saw Ted Cruz as a leader commenting on video during the incident that Cruz would want them to do that. The goal of the zip tie guy was to do zip ties to get people in Congress like AOC. Columnist and editorial director of the Heartland Institute, Justin T. Haskins, tweeted, When did Ted Cruz try to kill AOC? Do you see, Twitter, how harmful and damaging this tweet by AOC was? She should be treated the same way Twitter supposedly deals with everyone, everyone else. We just arrested a guy who made memes. Memes. In 2016. There were misinformation. Yet I read you... One of hundreds of liberals saying, go vote on Super Wednesday. Same thing. But they're not getting arrested. They're just not. Lincoln Project, senior advisor. This is just going to lump a whole bunch of stuff, including this. Warns Marco Rubio not to fuck around with her or she'll tap a Cuban Floridian like Anna Navarro to run against him. Beto O'Rourke thanks AOC for accusing. So while everyone is condemning MTG, let's take some time to condemn AOC for falsely claiming someone else tried to get her killed. Something which puts Cruz in danger as she gives her rabid base reason to think he is danger. This is really bad. Beto O'Rourke, thank you. Citizens, fact check are using Birdwatch to call out AOC. It's still there as of this morning. Dana Loach. Have you met Steve Scalise? Bernie Sanders was never even asked about it. It was his supporter with an assassination list. Never asked. Um, Chris Koff, uh, Kofi. Cruz responds to AOC tweet, you know, there's a lot of partisan anger and rage on the Democratic side. It's not healthy for our country. It's certainly not conductive of healing or unity, but everyone has to decide how they want to interact with others via the Hill. Oh, there's anger? Now, why would there be anger that Cruz amplified known lies about our election and fueled an insurrection that cost people lives? What does he think the logical response to his lies should be? A hug? Maybe there's anger because his actions deserve accountability. Four years. They still question the results of 2016. They wanted to get rid of the fucking electoral college. They said Christians were to blame. White women were to blame. Everybody who voted for Trump was a deplorable, racist, Islamophobe, fucking... Now we're ISIS. There is no comparison with the 130 congressmen that wanted to challenge an election and the media cabal, the FBI, the CIA with Brennan and the entire Democratic National Committee, what they did for four years. No comparison. There's no comparison with that to what they tried to do to Bush. He caused Katrina. He killed black people. CNN commentator. Uh, 
What very few people are pointing out is the shooting of Gabby Giffords, and there's a good reason for that. The shooter's motivation wasn't political. Still, CNN political commentator Doug High is constantly reminding of the shooting and warns Republicans they're playing with matches. I'm constantly reminded of that awful Saturday morning 10 years ago when Gabby Giffords was shot. The GOP is playing with matches. More people will get hurt if they don't do something. Gabby Gifford's bad. Baseball shooting. Murder of cops in Dallas. Do I need to list all this shit since that day that the left's done? But they'll still roll out an FBI report that it's right-wing extremists. That's who we need. The QAnon. It's QAnon. Philadelphia Acquirer. Inquirer. Excuse me. On Holocaust Memorial Day. Or Remembrance Day. Sorry. Is it wrong to compare Trump... To Hitler, no. Many people find it offensive to use the Holocaust as a yardstick for the political excesses of the last four years that culminated in the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. They believe that to mention Donald Trump and Adolf Hitler in the same breath as Spike Lee did on Sunday in an award speech disrespects the millions of innocent victims and survivors, diminishing the enormity of the Nazi crimes. As a son of a Holocaust survivor and a grandson of four murdered Jews, I might be expected to agree, but I don't. I think Trump's ability to incite followers on the banner of white nationalism has enabled us to better understand Hitler's sway over the Germans, connecting us to the real people in the old black and white photos, images, and newsreels that show the masses with arms outstretched toward their Fuhrer. What about BLM? What about Antifa? What about Obama? What about them? They've done it. Then you even have this stuff. I can report from Telegram channels that the Nazis appear to be training GameStop and, GameStop and AMC as well. Those were Nazis. Not just some people on Reddit. Vox, a popular baby sleep expert on Instagram, donated to Trump. Where does that leave new parents? Because she got fired. On Tucker last night, a lady who was a literary agent just happened to have a parlor account and a Gab account, and she was canceled and lost her job. Because they're all white supremacists over there. Even though I had one, I never saw any white supremacists. But, you know, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Joe Walsh. To show you how fucking hypocritical these dickheads are. On January 25th, inciting an insurrection against your own government is a zenith of treason. Impeachment is the zenith of cancel culture. That's what Matt Getz said. Joe Walsh on October 26, 2016. On November 8th, I'm voting for Trump. On November 9th, if Trump loses, I'm grabbing my musket. He's a Democrat now. Chris Hayes, out assholes, even himself claiming he knows which violent slogan of GOP congressional candidates will use in 2022. Pin this tweet. There will be a GOP congressional candidate in 2022 whose campaign slogan will be some version of Storm the Capitol, Federal Musket, Take Back Washington, Liberal Media Translator, Zong, They Threatened Our Lives.
Maxine Waters told people to get in people's faces and kick them out of the fucking common discourse, and it happened. And at no time did she suffer for it. Every person on CNN and MSNBC said the same. I just played a motherfucker saying they should get drones. We should be droning ISIS, a.k.a. non-progs. Dem Senator Diane Savino shrieks over violent political quote and demands action. Cuomo Watch, it's a parody. If you see anybody from the Cuomo administration in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, and you get you you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome anymore anywhere. Acting Cuomo March. Diana Savino, a Democrat, this is beyond outrageous. Two weeks ago, we saw what happened when arsonists throw gas around. Twitter should ban this dude now. William Smith, it's the exact quote of Maxine Waters. She said it in 17. This is what the left gets away with all the time. The media allows it. Conservatives that hate their base allow it. I see what they did, but... That was then, and this is now, and four years of Trump has led to words becoming weapons. We can't just ignore them anymore. People take them as a call to violent action. When conservatives ambush and kill police officers, ambush and injure Democrats at a baseball game, and burn down whole cities. Come talk to me about words as weapons. Anti-government idiots, including mega people, stormed the Capitol and you're clutching pearls when the left has weaponized everything since Obama. Told people. Obama community organized BLM from the fucking White House podium. Jesus fucking Christ, man. It's unbelievable. Oliver Willis says, Dana Lowe's trying to help flood the country. Have you met Steve Scalise? Was a reply to AOC. Oliver Willis, once again, CNN, was on the NRA's payroll to help flood the country with the kind of guns that shot Scalise. Her reply, oh, please, give detailed evidence of your claim. They don't have to. They don't have to. Then there's this. I didn't download it. We'll just play it. Let me make sure my volume's up. It is. You know, this has been, I think, such a sad week for the Republican Party because this is a time when they had a chance to get rid of the cross that they've been bearing with Donald Trump, who has divided the party and opened it up for all sorts of nut jobs to uh, come into the party. Instead, what we see is Kevin McCarthy, who has been all over the place, uh, going down, making a pilgrimage to, I guess, what's going to become now the Republican Mecca. I call it Far Alago. And by the way, if we can put the picture back up, the, can we just talk about the interior of Mar-a-Lago? I mean, it's like, what, bordello, vintage bordello look? And so, you know, he went down there to make nice with, uh, with, with Donald Trump because Donald Trump is threatening to open up a third party if Republicans don't continue kissing his ring, among other body parts. I think it's pathetic. I think, the, you know, I think it's white slavery, what I just witnessed from Kevin McCarthy. He looks like uh, he's owned by his master and his master. 
She was never a conservative. Her, Wallace, fucking Schmidt, all those awesome never-Trumpers that I couldn't fit in my video. Yeah. CBS. CBS reports on Ocasio-Cortez, but hides murder smear at Cruz and say they just got together on a tweet and agreed with some. View applauds AOC accusing Cruz of attempting murder, has blood on his hands. Let's listen to that. AOC clapped back at Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz, you know, tweeted her and said, I completely agree with you. AOC, though, however, said this. She tweeted, I am happy to work with Republicans on this issue where there's common ground. But you almost had me murdered three weeks ago, so you can sit this one out. Happy to work with almost any other GOP that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you want to help, you can resign. And I agree with uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez because think about it. The insurrection at the Capitol happened three weeks ago, and Republicans want to say, nothing to see here. Let's just unify on these issues. Yes, some of these are very important issues, but let's remember, just three weeks ago, they were all hiding in the Capitol from people that were trying to hang Vice President Pence, that were armed. Ah, fuck these people. GOP, Philip Methelon Wegman. Representative Chip Roy sends letter to Speaker Pelosi demanding AOC apologize for effectively accusing Ted Cruz of murder. If AOC does not apologize immediately, we'll be forced to find alternative means to condemn this regrettable statement. Full letter here. She won't because she said the same thing from the podium. That's why I started my show. And understand, under Democrats in all these Democrat cities... Tonight, we are saddened to share some shocking crime stats. 16 days into 2021, homicides in South LA are up 150%. It's our shared responsibility, law enforcement, community members, elected officials, to stop this senseless violence. But the left doesn't get accused of violence. It's just Trump, QAnon, Proud Boys. Once again... I don't know any QAnon people. I read their shit, it's crazy, but I read a lot of liberal shit that's crazy, including Don Winslow, the army of Trump. There's more people believe that and have believed it and talked about nuclear codes for four years, and sadly, some of them are conservative. They believe that shit, and that's why I made Prague Fire. Just be a dem. Just go be a dem. And that's not the people I talk with. I'm talking about the establishment, Bill Crystal, Navarre, all those. They're, they, they're not conservatives anymore. You got to the kids' kit, you got to the big kids' table, and you got, you got really cool, and you started eating their fancy food, and now you're used to it. I understand it. it. It's really easy when your enemy of my enemy is my friend bullshit, and then you become that person, and you become more liberal than anything else. But saying the entire GOP group is the enemy of the people when you're literally doing Marxist policy at the greatest rate of any president ever shows this is all a shit show kabuki theater cover for your extremism. This projection is to try to project so that the GOP doesn't do what they did for four years. That the GOP doesn't get violent like them. The capital's bad, but it is not what happened for four years from the left. Normal citizens were beaten in the street 
for wearing a fucking hat. And it's totally in lockstep as our This Is America tweet shows, our segment shows. They can't stop demonizing the right. And if violence happens to the right, will any of them be fucking held accountable? It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Let's talk about another guy, Josh Hawley. What should happen to him, and what do you think will happen to him? Well, you know, sadly, we've 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 done away with horsewhipping in this country. Um, but what I think should happen to him is that Josh Hawley needs to be expelled from the U.S. Senate. Josh Hawley is continuing to dig the hole deeper on his his sedition and on the actions he took on the on the sixth in particular to stoke the crowd to rile up the mob. And, and has now tried to cast himself as this tragic figure that everyone's being mean to him and he's being muzzled. You know, for a man who's being muzzled, he can't shut his damn mouth. He's on every possible media outlet. He has a, articles in the New York Post. He's on Hannity about every 17 seconds on Fox. Um, and so he's trying to become the poster boy for the, Trump, the, the post-Trump GOP, whose entire, you know, the, the center of his entire world is this sense of aggrievement that he's being shut down by big tech and the media, and it's pathetic. But I, I think that Hawley represents a, a level of, of acceptance of the violence and acceptance and encouragement of the people that stormed into the Capitol. Josh Hawley did this. Josh Hawley has the blood of Officer Sicknick in part on his soul. He has the, 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 the five deaths that happened in the Capitol that day were in part because he was out there raising the fist and cheering the mob. Because he was out there leading the charge in Donald Trump's efforts to disenfranchise tens of millions of African-American voters and to, to strike down their votes by taking up these, these lawsuits that have been dismissed and turning them into policy. He was trying to disenfranchise African-Americans. He has a lot of weight on his soul. Unfortunately, he doesn't seem to have one. And so, you know, a man of honor at this point would have realized he'd made a terrible mistake. A man of dignity and, and integrity would have said to himself, I went too far. This was unconstitutional. This was outrageous. This was destructive. And I will leave public life. Josh Hawley has no such such characteristics about him. He is ruthlessly ambitious. He wants to be president so much he'll burn down anything in his way, including the country, if he gets the chance. So, you know, we're going to keep our eye on Josh. And, and, and I think that the pressure he's beginning to feel, both from inside of his own staff and from folks back home in Missouri— uh, is growing, and he is on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of this debate, and he will be one of the last defenders of, of Trump's attempt to to engage in a violent coup to overthrow the results of the election. To quote a great man, William Hurt, in The Big Chill, just trying to keep the conversation lively. Both of these gentlemen have agreed to stay with us, so I can sneak. <laughs> What's happening in Washington deserves your attention. It may be as dangerous as the pandemic. My question is, how many red flags do we need 
Homeland Security just put out a warning of more possible violence to come from violent anti-government extremists fueled by false narratives that could continue to mobilize to incite or commit violence. Now, this, that's what the GOP has to say about this threat. Why? The only response they've had to the threat is to keep Biden from getting ahead of Homeland Security to head up the attack against this problem. Why? My argument, and is why I caution Democrats wanting a power-sharing deal with McConnell, that that is like insisting on petting a starving snake. The big mouth is gone, but the Retrumplican chorus remains, echoing his animus and hungry for more chaos. Think about it. Not a word about the ton of terrorists who say they acted not just on behalf of Trump, but because Trump told them to act. No comment from the leadership. Why? If they were not hell-bent on taking us all to hell in a handbasket, why would Mitch McConnell go from Trump provoked this and fed that mob lies, remember he said that, and pleading, we need time, let me move this trial, it must get due consideration, the president must have time to prepare. Why would he say that and then immediately go to voting to dismiss the trial before it even starts? He wants the chaos. They want to comfort our attackers. Who does all of these things unless you want chaos? GOP used to stand for grand old party. Now it's like gang of pirates. Well, my reaction is that 45 out of uh, 50 Republicans think that uh, former President Trump should face zero accountability for inciting uh, an insurrection, uh, not only uh, against our capital, but against our very democracy. And I tend to agree with Joy. The current Republican Party, um, there is no rift in the, in the current Republican Party. This is a far-right extremist party. This is the party of Marjorie Greene. This is the party of QAnon. This is the MAGA party. This is the Confederate flag party, the Confederate statue party, the kids in a cage party, the build a wall party, the anti-science party, the uh, anti-climate change right. party, the nationalist party, the isolationist party. Um, right. There is no rift. Right. This is the Republican Party of today. And I really think that if there are uh, Republicans that do not agree with this Trumpism, with this MAGA party, with this type of party, they are going to need to leave this party and start their own. Because if they stand with the 45 out of 50 Republican senators, that tells this country that they support everything that those other Republicans. We now have a chance to speak truth and deal with reality. We are not all equal here. We know that. The president knows this. Invoking George Floyd as he signed four executive actions today aimed at furthering racial equity. Biden's executive actions today are aimed at fair housing, recommitting the government to lifting up Native American communities and combating xenophobia against Asian Americans. It all matters. It's all part of a more perfect union. He's pressing ahead with the most diverse cabinet in U.S. history, equity and inclusion at the forefront. He's vowing to build back better. How? We've got a lot of healing to do, a lot of building to do. Aspirations must be a coefficient of perspiration and inspiration that lead to action. We, what we both think is wrong, uh, that video you showed of the president being asked about... Former president. The former president being asked about systemic racism, and he's saying, no, there isn't. 
and everyone looking like, what? But no one said anything, and that's the problem, don't you think? Yeah, over there, oh, I didn't hear it. Didn't hear it. <laughs> oh, look at the time. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, you were right, but they were wrong. It's wherever you are. If someone says something that's racist or sexist or misogynistic or whatever, xenophobic, whatever it is, anti-Semitic, then it's up to all of us to say, hey, stop, don't do that. And not to coddle people and say, well, why would you do that? And I don't understand. No, you know what coddling people and not confronting them, you know what that got us? That got us an authoritarian figure elected as president. And so whether this goes anywhere, and I think it will, this is a lot for the, the new president to put on the table, even if it's just an executive order. Remember, the, I think the black president did not even do that. For him to do that, he's got to follow up on it. He's got to make good on it. We also heard something else from the president today that we haven't heard from this White House in a long time, from the White House in a long time, not this particular administration. President Biden signing a series of executive actions on racial equity. Finally, finally, racial issues are a problem. But that's okay. That has been four years. That has been the rhetoric from the DNC and the media for four years. But Trump's the problem. I mean, Lindsey Graham, it just cracks me up. He, he nails this. Uh, New York Daily News. QAnon shaman Jacob Chanley, a Capitol riot leader who said he was betrayed by Trump for not pardoning him, is willing to testify against the ex-president at his impeachment trial next month, his lawyer says. Graham, it's Viking guy. I cannot think of a better way to turn this upcoming impeachment trial into complete circus than to call this guy up. Just shows it's not real. The whole thing's not real. There were violent people there. They all been arrested. That dude's a joke. He's a fucking joke. I played the video three times. That's what he did on that day. Walked around like a weirdo because he is a weirdo. But will they talk about this stuff? Climate change is now a national security priority, says the Pentagon. AOC. Town Hall. Does Joe Biden know what he's talking about? Joe Biden, the Green New Deal will pay for itself as we move forward. Seconds later, Chris Wallace. Do you support the Green New Deal? Joe Biden, no, I don't. AOC. It's almost as if we helped shape the platform. That's your new climate. And we covered it on the show, and that's a shit show, and that is going to destroy you. Just get used. Just get used. Used? Fucking, just get used to fucking having $5 gas, electricity, just a fucking hot mess. It's a pot, a chicken, and everybody has a window. It has nothing to do with climate. How do I know that? Listen to this soundbite. This is Intersectionality 101 for us to recoup the benefits of that manufacturing and lower the cost of clean energy. Part of the way we're going to get there is by making sure the federal government buys American and that the federal government looks at its procurement across every agency so that the breadth of what we spend is spent designed to advance job growth in the United States, to advance health benefits for environmental justice communities, and to begin to tackle the very challenge, the existential challenge of climate change. Oh, really? 
John Kerry says out-of-work oil gas workers should be grateful to Joe Biden to give them better choices. Biden Energy Secretary nominee, some jobs have to be sacrificed. CNN climate activist that we've covered a million fucking times, all right? If he likes this policy, you know it's bad for America. Tom Tim, Tim Graham, CNN climate reporter, Bill, Bill Weir editorized, during a 2020 filled with broken record, breaking fires and drought, massive swarms of locusts, and so many hurricanes, they ran out of names. Joe Biden promised to help avoid planet-cooking, climate-changing, fossil-fuel suicide. And then on COVID, New York Times. For all liberals and liberal conservatives, well, that should be a source. The Cuomo administration undercounted coronavirus-related deaths at nursing homes by as much as 50%, the attorney general said. ABC, CBS ignored it. CNN hasn't covered it. Chad Prather. We went from two weeks to flatten the curve to wear three masks and get your anus swabbed. Byron York. Joe Biden. We're eight months into this pandemic and Donald Trump still doesn't have a plan to get this virus under control. I do. Byron York. Biden didn't have any great new plan for dealing with COVID. His plan was to build on the Trump plan, which was the only reasonable way to proceed. But for political reasons, he couldn't describe it that way. They've done nothing. And they've admitted it. But they're going to push through intersectionality, bullshit, voting, and a billion other things. And the next relief, White House open to using reconciliation to pass COVID relief bill. And as we've discussed over the last two podcasts, the left has been locked down so long, now they want to fix the economy because Trump's not the president. D.C. Muriel Browser, D.C., let go of your boards. If you know a business that still has boards up, please remind them to pull them down. D.C. is open. Everybody asked, what changed? What changed? Nothing's changed. And why would they? It's a war zone. No intelligent threat we're keeping troops there we have 10 foot fucking fences AOC and the entire democratic establishment including the speaker of the house and the media are saying republicans are the enemy they're ISIS maybe we maybe the threat isn't from these mega people maybe they're right If I owned a business in fucking D.C., I would have already left. Most of these liberal cities, I would have just closed the fuck down. Because it's going to be politics forever. The only positives I have to report for the whole fucking shit show of a podcast. Brian J. Kareem, the Playboy guy, who used to scream at Trump so he could get fucking virtue signaling on Twitter. This morning at 9 a.m., my latest column for Playboy posted, one in which I criticized the White House Correspondent Association for a conflict of interest. At 10.32 a.m., I was informed by the White House Correspondent Association that my request for membership this year has been declined. Guess I won't go to the dinner this year. And Acosta's gone, too. Isn't that interesting? 
Hmm. Now we just have people. Does he feel wistful? Is Biden wistful? I don't know. I don't even know where to go with this fucking shit. I just don't know where to go with it. But this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. You can get it on foppodcast.com and you can get the audio on foppodcast.com. If you're a purist, you can just go to SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Blueberry, Down in Pocket Cast, and the audio will be there sometime this afternoon. Remember to check out the Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. I don't tweet a lot lately because it just seems if you tweet anything anti-Biden, you're going to get censored or get like Tucker's getting. Uh, everything's on the up and up, even though you're not talking about the election. These are dangerous times, my friend. That's how I'll close. I didn't think they go this batshit crazy, but they're going batshit crazy. And they're going to demonize everybody who doesn't agree with them, use the federal government and the judicial system to get them. And if that doesn't work, you will start seeing more conservatives attacked. They won't be wearing MAGA. They'll probably just be me. Because remember, a lot of QAnon and Proud Boys will have beards. So that must make me a QAnon and Proud Boy, right? Because that's where we're at now. I mean, when you have an establishment media and a Democratic Party that bases everything on what people look like, not who they are, what they think, what they say, of course, A, if you're white, you're just a racist, and B, if you look like those people, well, you must be evil too. I promise you before March, they're coming for the guns. That's the only thing on his list he hasn't done. And always remember, when you don't hear polls from the fucking media, that means it's not popular. And that's why for these 40 executive actions, they've showed no polls. There's none. And that's why they're projecting everybody's our enemy. There's a threat. If you think Pelosi and AOC, this isn't a fucking act and coordinated, you're smoking fucking peyote. It's all an act. They need a new demon. And that demon is anybody who doesn't agree with them. It's a great fucking technique. They get away with it all the time. Because while they're saying Ted Cruz, Hockley, me, anybody who podcasts and doesn't say Biden is the greatest. Um, they're attacking, demonizing, projecting violence everywhere. They need their brown shirts. Their brown shirts will be very important for the final moves of de-arming everybody and putting in the Green New Deal. I challenge anybody out there, if you didn't read the Green New Deal, go back in the podcast, and you'll hear it. It has nothing to do with climate, and it has everything with turning us to a socialist state. Whitlock is a moderate guy, 
And he nailed it, and that's why I sacrificed 20 minutes of the show. This is about changing America drastically forever. And they're going to do it because you're not going to be able to stop it. That's why everything is reconciliation now. The left is super good at cloaking things. A really good word. Well, we're reconciling the differences. That sounds better than ramming through what the American people don't want. I mean, that just sounds so much better. And I pray that I'm wrong, but it doesn't appear I am. Because what they said in their damn convention is what they're doing now. On a final note, to anybody I offended in the arguments on these podcasts, uh, when I talk about never-Trumpers, it's the establishment. Lincoln, all these Schmitz, and all these other fucking people. I understand people could chew bubblegum and walk at the same time. But I challenged that group for two shows for a reason. You either got to come back and start playing ball or you just stay a Democrat. Because if we as a group, and once again, I'm not GOP, but if conservative non-prog people don't start banding together and standing up, we're going to lose this goddamn country. The media will, they will put out everything as the greatest thing fucking ever and is what America wants with no statistical evidence, just like all black people are getting shot, just like social justice, everything about intersectionality is a lie, transgender genocides, we still have 17 vets a day getting killed, nobody seems to care, all of it's a fucking lie. And it's hard to get through that lie without a united effort. Regardless if you like the person, regardless if you think they're great people, regardless if you're pure. We can't have purity tests on the opposing team. We're the op four now. We're the enemy of the country because we don't agree with their socialist intersectionality equity bullshit. And if we don't band together as a group, let our voices be heard peacefully, we will lose this country to a bunch of people who only care about the 18% of the country who want to destroy it. So if those who are never Trumpers listen and you got pissed off, I hope you did. And I hope you really look at the fact that, yeah, Trump was bad. But right now, day whatever the fuck we are of the Biden presidency... Trump did less to the country, not the office, less to the country in four years than Biden just did in a fucking week. Next show will be um, Wednesday. What is Wednesday? The third? The third, I think. Let me see. Where am I at? Yeah, the third. So tune in the third for another show. As always, thanks for listening and take care.